Welcome to Journey to Authenticity. My name is Sarah Hart. Join me in the quest to uncover our true self and make aligned choices with relationships, purpose, spirituality, and body-mind. Together with my guests, we share the stories, practices, and perspectives on how we can all live an authentic life. Remove the mask, reveal the real you, and spread your light. So Lauren is a co-owner of a London-based leadership company. She is passionate about personal development and how this can be used to change the way we work and live. She is a wife-to-be, sister, daughter, and friend to some amazing people. She's deeply interested in how our bodies and our emotions are interlinked and how we can create a thriving life through diet, nature, and healing our past and our relationships. So Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. So I think what I'd like to start with is the leadership side of things, because this is an area that I've tried to grow and develop myself and want to continue to do so. So I'd just love to hear really what your philosophy is around leadership and sort of some of the main principles that you teach around that in your company. Okay. Um, Well, the the starting place for leadership with us here at LEAP is that leadership starts with self. And it's something that we really believe in and we feel really strongly about for many reasons. Um, And I'll try and put these into some kind of order. So if we go into a company and there's cultural issues, these are always in parallel with what is going on at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, and the relationships that they have and how they treat their staff. So if there is a blaming culture at the top of a company, there'll be a blaming culture throughout the entire company. If there's a culture of really trying to empower people at the top and supportive, that will trickle down throughout the company. So this also is really important from the leader's perspective. So when we talk about leadership is personal, what we mean is that until we understand the way that we behave, why we act and react the way that we do, what stops us being our best self, what's really important to us, what do we value, what's our purpose, until we can become really clear of these in ourselves, we will find it incredibly difficult to be able to understand it in other people. So our first job as a leader is to develop ourselves. So personal development and leadership are completely interlinked. And um, I'll give you an example. If I really value, say, something like being appreciated, and that's really important to me, when I don't feel appreciated and that's not honored, I will probably react in like a defensive way or it will create some stress in me. And it will stop me being able to ask the person that I'm in communication with what I want from them. Because I'll be thinking, you don't appreciate me. Why are you being so awful to me? Like, I feel like I'm being taken for granted. Fill in the blank. If I understand that I have a big value around appreciation, then I can articulate that to them in a, uh, and say, hey, I'm not feeling appreciated. This is what I need from you. The second thing of uh, part of this is that from leaders, our job is to know our own values and the value of people around us. And then we talk to them from their value system, not from our own. Because what we do as people is we project our values all over everyone else all the time and say, uh, and, and expect other people to think the same way. What we need to be able to do is to understand other people's value system. The only way to be able to do that is to really start by understanding your own. 
yeah, I think this is something that just keeps coming up again and again with values. <laughs> Would you say that there's a specific tool then you use in order to do that? Being able to determine other people's, because I suppose it's easier to determine your own. No, there isn't. First of all, we get them to explore their own. Um, uh, what's the stuff that makes them feel at ease, at open, the things that are really important to them. This can be done through lots of things like visualizations, thinking of people that you admire. Um, if I got you, Sarah, to think of a time where you felt like everything in your life was going right and uh, everything was on track and it was kind of easy and it felt great and you felt alive. Um, can you think of a time like that? Yes, I can. Yeah. It's always uh, aligned for me about how I'm doing at work and career and teaching people and helping other people. Yeah, great. So even in one sentence, we hear success, um, learning and developing, teaching and helping. Yes. So we see three massive values just from that one sentence. And usually people would really explore that and explain lots about that. So, um, so yeah, so there's three values. Now, if they're not honored, you're going to come into some kind of dissonance, whether that be like um, an, a negative reaction and anger or checking out. Once you learn it in yourself, it's much easier to see it in others. This is another reason why it always starts with self. So you can do it by learning to listen properly. Mm. When people are repeating themselves over and over again, it's because they don't feel heard. So if you have a colleague or a client or a friend who keeps saying the same thing and you think, why do they keep going on about this? It's because you're not hearing what they're trying to say. Um, so listening, there's different levels of listening. There's three levels of listening. So really learning to listen properly. And the other best skill I would say is curiosity, like being curious, like a, like a four-year-old would, you know, like when they look at their hand for the first time and they're just like in awe of like how it moves and the lines and what they can do with it and putting it in their mouth and all those things. If you can be really curious about the way someone's behaving and without judging it, but really trying to understand why they do that, you'll, you'll hear values everywhere. Yeah, and I suppose with all the senses, like you just said, like a child would just immerse themselves in. Yeah, exactly. What's not being said? What's the body language? What's the tone of voice? All of, yeah, all of that kind of global stuff that's going on yeah. holds such rich information. So what are the three layers to... Ah, the three levels of this thing. So, levels, see, I heard that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. So the three levels of listening. The first one is called um, internal listening, and it's basically how most of us listen all the time. It's also about the way we listen when we're learning, so it's not bad. But for example, if I said uh, to you about a time I was on holiday in Spain, or the time that you know my partner was really pissing me off, or that kind of thing, instantly in your brain you probably would start thinking about time you were away or the time that you had a <laughs> an argument or an altercation with your partner. So it's this kind of me too. Mm. Um, it's also when we're listening and we start thinking of what we're going to respond before the person's answered. So we pick up on some keywords and we think, oh, I really want to get this point across. So that's level one listening. Level two is called focus listening. And that's about the way you would listen if you were in an interview or with an important client or if you were like on a first date um, where you listen to every single word and you don't notice anything around you. 
So this is quite an intense way of listening, but we really get all the detail and it's a lot to do with the words. And the third layer of listening is called global listening, which is what you just uh, were speaking to, which is all of the stuff that's not being said. What's the energy in the room? You know, if you walk into a room and someone's had a fight, even though they're not fighting anymore, you can tell. Mm. We use our intuition in level three listening and our curiosity. And it's about, yeah, the things that are not being said and the body language and the energy and tone of voice. Um, and so if we can listen from level two and three, we can hear so much more. And the best way to notice it is just see if you're back talking to yourself, if the internal monologue is going on, because then you know you've switched off. Another great way to practice this is to voice mirror what the person opposite you is saying. So as they speak, you repeat in your head every single word they say. That's really useful in a heated argument or debate or any kind of conflict, because then you have to listen to their point and you can't go into your own thoughts. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, I can see that now, especially in an argument where you're just thinking of that next response of how you're going to react as opposed yeah. to just stepping back and really... You're not them. hearing anything. No, exactly. You're just trying to make them wrong, usually. <laughs> Absolutely, because we need to be right for our ego. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's why coaches can coach on the phone without seeing people face to face because they listen at those different levels you can hear you know silence you can hear when someone's thinking you can literally like see you know feel the clogs turning you can hear when there's any emotion a strike crackle in a voice a resistance a tear so if you listen at level two and three wow it's amazing really how much you can hear do you think it's actually a, quite a good way to train it by doing that over the phone as opposed to being face to face? I think you pick up so much more information. Definitely, because uh, when we're face to face, especially from the client's perspective, they're noticing all of our reactions and responses and it can edit what they really need to say or explore. So if they can't see anything, they're just completely focused internally. They can have more honest conversations and not be distracted by you. And also, even through a video, it's kind of an abnormal way to speak because you would never just stare at someone directly. You would look around a room and, and move about a bit, wouldn't you? So yeah. on the phone, it's a really good way to train level two and three, yeah. Like you say, I think people can remove some inhibition where they've got something in between them like that. Yeah. So I know this, that when I started out uh, in practice, you know, I, I had no training on how to lead a patient. You know, I knew how to do the chiro bit, the body bit. But in terms of leading somebody, a patient through a journey, no, chiropractors don't have any real training on this. And they are in one of those professions where they become leaders by default, effectively. Mm. Is there any sort of like top tips that you would say then for people wanting to improve their leadership skills? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> it's funny I'm thinking about a conversation with my dentist this morning I was having my teeth cleaned whose name is Nash which is just brilliant <laughs> brilliant um so he is well regardless of him like he's a really really good at his job and it's a bit like a Cairo like it's very one-on-one -on -one. you're with the the client aren't you and I see the way he is with staff and I think doing any decent kind of 360 which will show it's particularly a leadership 360 so we use a tool called the leadership circle profile which is a fascinating tool and uh, the the psychology behind it is by a guy called Robert Keegan 
who um, wrote the books Immunity to Change. And they say we go through as adults, adult stages of development. So the same as child stages of development, but for adults. So the first stage is ego. This is like when we're teenage years. And that's all about me. We know we've all been a teenager. Of course, no one's ever been through anything felt like that way before. So that's all about me. And it's, and it's healthy and natural. And the second one is called reactive. So the reactive stage, about 75% of the population reside in. And it's um, my outside world shapes who I am. So teachers, parents, bosses, friends, I act the way I think that I should be. The second stage after that, the third stage, sorry, after that is called creative. And creative is the opposite. It's I, I know who I am. I live in my integrity. I know what I stand for, my values. And I create my world based on, on those things. So you're a perfect example of that, Sarah, that you've gone through this journey of learning and development, which is so important to you. And now you've created a life where you're doing this as, as a job right now. Yeah. So you've changed your life based on what's important to you. After that, there's integral. Integral is all about being with the paradox of our life. So I can be loving and hateful. I can be strong and I can be vulnerable. I can be kind and I can be mean. You know, I can be happy and I can be sad. It's that we're all human. We have every single behavior within us and actually really inviting in the shadows because the behaviors that we don't accept in ourselves, we reject in other people as well. And then the final stage is about uh, unity. And this is like less than 1% of the population think Dalai Lama, yeah, uh, Gandhi, you know, it's kind of, uh, we're all one, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Um, so what's interesting from the leadership perspective is that with reactive and creative, they focus on these two areas. And companies that were the most successful, the leaders scored much more highly in creative leadership and um, and vice versa. The companies that were the least successful, their leaders were more reactive. So reactive is made up of these three main traits, controlling, protecting and complying. Controlling is I got to be the best. I'm driven. I want to see results. It's action orientated. It's autocratic. Protecting other people who always want to be right. So by keeping myself distant from you, arrogant, a bit aloof, often highly critical, but that's kind of in their head seen as being rational for the impact it has is critical. These people are, are always right. They keep themselves safe by being right. And complying is about pleasing and being passive and just being liked. So I'll do things so that you like me um, because then I'm safe. And underneath all of these is, is some kind of fear. Fear, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, and so that's really important in our leadership that we understand what are the fears that drive us. And it's subconscious, yeah, it's going on all the time. So if I was a big complier and someone says, and my, my subconscious driver is I'm safe, and loved if I'm liked and someone asked me in a meeting who disagrees I'm not going to put my hand up mm. because the fear is too big because then I'm uh, I'm really vulnerable so as leaders we have to understand this and see how it's getting in our way 
controllers all often if they're over controlling it leads to burnout in companies so you know the boss the one that drives everyone is like just get on with it it's the one who you know you finish a project you're straight on to the next there's no well done it's really fast paced and and protectors are the ones who you really can't get close to you don't know what's going on for them you wouldn't know anything personal about them um, and it's very critical so when we can understand these and understand in ourselves where it comes from, so you, often something like the first time that you got praised, you know, and you learn, oh, when I do well, people love me. Mm. So there's there's where the belief comes in as you're a, as you're a child, or you know, parents broke up, and I wanted to make sure that everything was as peaceful as possible, so I never rocked the boat, you know, and and the. The thing with humans is, and, and we train this literally day in, day out, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, is it's got a different kind of, you know, it's wrapped up in a different box, but underneath the fears are always lead back to the same thing, like abandonment, not being loved, being alone, rejection. So it's really important that we understand what drives us so that then we can start to change our behavior. Yeah. I suppose this is exactly the masks that we learn to wear. Those three examples yeah. that you've just said, they're masks based on, based on fear. And I suppose then describing that of getting to that point of creative is almost like a evolution to enlightenment in a sense. Absolutely. So you don't go from reactive to creative from doing one session. You know, no. it's probably, I think the, 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 the time frame was anything between two and seven years. Mm. Um, you're, highly unlikely to be in it in your early 20s as well because you've not had enough time just to grow unless you've been through quite a lot of experiences that have made you have to grow up and in creative if we call reactive fear then creative essentially in its essence is love yeah so compliers you know actually are really good in relationships so they're the people who value teams and mentoring and developing and collaboration Uh, and the difference is it it doesn't come from this scarcity place. It comes from an empowered place of we can create much, so much like this. The controllers can be really good at, at, at results and vision and strategy. And they're some of the more creative competencies. And when we can come and it genuinely, like if we listen to our bodies and it's very subtle, but it feels different. It mm. feels like uh, it comes from a free, freer place and a place of creativity rather than a place of of scarcity and fear and I think that that knowingness that almost a warmer feeling with it is knowingness of that idea of the unified the less separation between us in fact that we're all connected absolutely you know I just did a, a program last week in India we have people from all over the globe there and on one of the the fourth day of the program is a really intimate day where we share our personal stories and the challenges that we've come up come through and um, one of the guys was it was actually Indian and he was telling a story about when he got put on a project with a guy from Pakistan. And, you know, there's huge conflict between okay, those yeah. two um, uh, cultures and how his journey of actually getting to know him, you know, took down the masks and the barriers. And I really believe with every bone in my body, any ism of any kind and any separation can be healed if we get to know the person who we're with so if we can step in close and learn their story and it's really hard to hate when you understand the the path that someone has been on 
And also you can relate with everyone. It's got a different flavor, but they're all the same. They're all overcoming some, some pain, really. Yeah, we can see we've got more in common than we have different. Absolutely. So do you think by that principle of that idea of the evolution of it, do you think that there's, there's some part, I think, okay, there's time and experience, and then there's part that we can learn, train, and speed this up. But I suppose this is what you're, is this what you're talking about really about how we can use personal development to change the way we work and live, that we can almost yeah. accelerate it? Yeah, exactly. Just by shining the light of awareness on it, um, because we're going around, you know, doing things and we have no idea why, why we're acting the way we are or why what pisses us off pisses us off or why we like certain people. So if we can really personal development and any kind of development, actually, you know, new experiences, how we act under in new experiences tells us a lot about ourselves because we work in patterns so we'll, we'll still show the same behavioral trait, um, learning a new language, learning how to dance, learning yoga, anything like that, you know, a golf, anything where you're doing something new is really insightful to how you behave mm. and how you show up, asking for feedback, learning about your blind spots and the impact you're having versus the impact you think you're having. Very insightful. So personal development can do this in, in all forms. And on top of that, I would say there's an evolutionary uh, development that happens. So, for example, if you speak to your parents, they would generally say that they're a bit more evolved than their parents were. Mm. And we would probably say the same about our parents. And I can see in the younger generation already the way that they turn up to work and purpose is so important then. Like for, for many people, we were just grateful for the job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't get a perk with this. You know, what? <laughs> I kind of love it um, that they're so passionate about that. So you can see the evolution uh, naturally ha- happening generationally as well, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. It's my belief. It's a sort of an organic, that's part of the whole innate order, I suppose, that we're sure. meant to evolve. And also, I'm a firm believer that we teach what we most need to learn. So I'm interested (laughs) um, with you. You mentioned about healing the past and relationships. What is it that you, looking back, what have you learned that's contributed to what you're teaching now? I mean, everything. (laughs) (laughs) So in summary, you know, I once got told this absolutely gorgeous metaphor And I'm going to share this with you. So whatever you believe in, God, the universe, nothing, you know, that's fine. Absolutely fine. And we're all here on this amazing earth. So I'm taking the the belief that there's something (laughs) going on that we don't know about. And this metaphor was imagine the earth and it's 2018 and they need a leadership coach in London and you're it Lauren and what happens from your birth all through your life to make sure that in 2018 you're the best and the and you've learned enough so that you can actually deliver that what is the stuff that we have to that you have to go through in order to be that person and that for me was like totally life-changing because it made it made kind of it all make sense for me. 
Um, so I think the, the the question of what were some of the main things? Did you just ask Sarah? Yes. Um, so I think one of the main things was uh, in childhood, living on my own. So I lived on my own since I was about 14. And my mum would come back, you know, once a week or a little bit less. But she was uh, a single mum and she was trying to earn money doing what she um thought that she could do best and was passionate about, which I'm really grateful because I learned to follow that, <laughs> um, which was training horses. But um, what happened is that I was on my own a lot of the time. And so I was, and, and before that, there was lots of things that had happened, like broken up parents and uh, a stepdad that were, that, and they had a volatile relationship. So it was, uh, I was trying to process and deal with all of those things as a 14 year old with hormones and you're trying to figure out enough at that stage anyway. So emotionally, I wasn't mature enough to deal with it. So I took escape in friends, going out, socializing, drinking, recreationally taking drugs, those kind of things, being in unfulfilling relationships, and also really, really desperate to be loved, like mm-hmm. embarrassingly so. <laughs> you know, a reflection, it's kind of, it's kind of painful to think about it. And not really, I'm really trying to like, be liked by everyone and not feeling confident in myself. So that went on till I finished university, basically. And so the the security that lots of people get there, I didn't have. And so there was a lot of time spent processing that, healing that, forgiving that, and learning from it because actually there's so many gifts and I wouldn't be me and where I am today and doing the work I do and feeling really in integrity in that and feeling like, I might not be that old, but I can definitely train people a lot older than me if I hadn't been through that so young. So if you ask me now if I would change any of it, my answer is categorically no. I'm really grateful for everything that I went through. But that was a long journey <laughs> to get to being feeling genuine gratitude for it. Yeah. I mean, you summed it up really beautifully in that metaphor, actually. Just that I suppose the only way we can learn resilience is through the struggle so to yeah. be grateful for all the struggles and all the challenges and giving us the opportunity to overcome and take the lessons from it yeah and I think you know I believe that our, our life the one of the purposes or the main purpose of our life is to learn and grow mm. whether that's through having kids or a career or hard times or illnesses and it's not supposed to be comfortable it's not saying it's supposed to be hard, but it's not supposed to be like a really comfy, easy, breezy journey. Like everyone's going to go through something. So if we can change our perspective from life so hard to what can I learn? I really believe that changes the way that we show up to our challenges. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm just interested. Do you have any daily practices that you do in order to be the best version of yourself? Yes, many. and I have to say this has gone on for a period of like 11 years maybe when I started and some days it was once a month and over the years it got more and more and um, it's still not every single day but it's more days than it isn't Um, so I really believe in meditating calming our brain calming out the, the noise connecting to our inner self our our heart and soul there's lots of 
when I'm stuck or I don't know what the answer is, the only way I can ever find it is by stopping and slowing down and connecting to my heart. It's never in my head. My head just has mm. lots of questions. So um, doing that every day, I think, makes me show up a lot better. I journal most evenings. I just practice some gratitude of what I'm grateful for in the day and some affirmations maybe when I'm in the shower. You know, I try to encompass it into part of my day. Otherwise, I'd spend three hours every morning just prepping for the day. So, uh, you know, affirmations in the shower, gratitude before bed. And then the other thing that I do uh, most days is some form of exercise, even if it's just walking, like getting in our bodies, moving, and also trying to eat well because it's the fuel. And don't get me wrong, I do loads of things wrong. But generally, that is like how I try to, I'm my best self when I do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So closing questions. What's one thing that you know to be true? Oh, God, that's such a good question. Okay. I know to be true that everything that we dislike, are annoyed at, upset, hurt by, in other people is a mirror of what we're not owning in ourselves. And as we do our work and we heal that stuff, they change as we change. And I see that a million times over that it's always all about us. It's all our own shit. That's brilliant. Mm. And what's your definition of authenticity? Oh, um, my definition of authenticity is living a life in line with your values and being congruent. So what you think on the inside is also what you express on the outside. Fantastic. Wonderful. (laughs) So I just want to finish by acknowledging you. Oh, thank you. Just for your resilience, I think, actually, in overcoming challenges um, and choosing to see things from a different perspective because it is a choice and for your strength and your drive I think to grow to expand to build and I think that I well I believe that that's what enables you to do such good work in the world so thank you oh thank you that's really gorgeous and uh, you know really right back at you I just feel like I'm holding up the mirror for everything that you're doing and I know that we finished but I just have to underline one point you made then which is about, it's a choice. And I I honestly think one of the biggest learnings I have ever had was when I realized that I can't change my circumstances, but I can change the way I see them. And there's a great book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. It's so good about, um, if you don't know listeners, he was in Auschwitz and how he came out of it and didn't spend the rest of his life in a concentration camp. And it really was about seeing the small things in every day. And so if we can see our challenges as growth, then we're definitely going to come out of them stronger. Absolutely. Thank thank you, Sarah. And good luck on your continued journey to authenticity. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And I'm going to listen to this episode again and again, because there's so many good gems in here for myself to learn. So thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Journey to Authenticity. If you found something meaningful in this episode, then head to iTunes to rate, review and subscribe. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.